But here's the next question, friends. As we think about the sanctuary, where did Jesus come from in relation to the sanctuary? Where did he come from? Well, friends, the Bible tells us that he came from the throne of God. He came from the bosom of the Father. And guess where that is? Notice in John 16 and verse 28, the Bible tells us where Jesus came from. John chapter 16 and verse 28, please write it down. Jesus says, I came forth from the who? Father. And I am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So notice, friends, Jesus is telling us where he came from. I have come from the Father into the world. And then after he's finished with his work in the world, he would then go back to the Father. And friends, where is that in relation to the sanctuary? Where is the Father's throne? It's in the most holy place. And so do you see, friends, Jesus came from where the light was shining in all of its fullness. He is the Shekinah glory, friends. And so we see the path of the just that leads to the throne of God. We go forward, but Jesus went backward down the path. He came from the most holy place, and he would come all the way down to the outer court, which is a symbol of the world. And there we see Jesus at the laver of baptism in A.D. 27, as Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan to begin his public ministry. He came from the Father, and now he begins his ministry at the labor. And he begins to preach, and he preaches about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, but but people still did not understand the mission of the Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah that would give them earthly light, earthly glory, They didn't realize that Jesus came to give spiritual light and spiritual glory. And so Jesus had to go beyond the labor, friends. Going to labor was was good, but it wasn't good enough for us to really see through the darkness of the night. So we see Jesus coming a little bit closer to us. And in John, the eighth chapter, we see Jesus teaching in the temple. And by the way, he is teaching in the outer court of the earthly temple. When suddenly, you remember the story. A woman was brought to him, a woman that was caught in a dirty sin in the act of committing adultery. I can just imagine that this woman was being dragged by the scribes and Pharisees. I can imagine tear streaks running down her face. She's not properly dressed. She is dirty in every single way of her life, and she is thrown down at the feet of Jesus like a piece of trash And they began to accuse her before the Lord, saying that the law says she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? The Pharisees wanted to kill two birds with one stone. They not only wanted to get rid of the woman, but they wanted to try to trap Jesus in his words. So they accused Jesus. And friends, we see this woman. She had made a mess of her life looking for love in all the wrong places, giving herself to a treating her body, her mind, her everything cheaply. Friends, yes, she was dirty. Yes, she made a mess of her life. But friends, at the feet of Jesus, she found herself at the very best place she could ever be in the whole universe. Because at the feet of Jesus, it was as if she was at the very throne of grace. And when everyone else wanted to get rid of her, Jesus took her and Jesus accepted her. When no one else wants you, Jesus will take you. Can you say amen? When everyone else turns their back on you and talks about you 
and lies and gossips about you, Jesus will take you. He takes the outcasts, those who've messed up their lives, those who've wasted their years. Jesus will take us just as we are, dirty, filthy, rotten, no good. He takes us just as we are. Can you say amen? Because, friends, let me tell you, when everyone else looked upon the woman, they saw a dirty harlot, a no-good tramp. But when Jesus looked at her, he saw her not for who she was, What he saw was a beautiful daughter of God that, yes, made mistakes, but a daughter of God that he wanted to restore in his own likeness and his own beauty. Can you say amen? And so after Jesus dealt with her accusers, he then said to the woman, woman, has no one condemned you? She said, no, man, Lord. And by the way, everyone else walked away from her, but the only one that did not walk away from her was Jesus. Amen. And the reason why they all walked away, because Jesus said, whoever is without sin, go ahead and stone her. And all of them had to drop their their rocks and walk away because they realized that they all had sin. But the only one that did not walk away was Jesus. You know why? Because he was the only one that was without sin. And because he was the only one without sin, he was the only one that could stone her and still be a just and fair God in doing so. And the only one that could rightfully condemn her, the only one that could stone her, the only one that could get rid of her, said to her of of which he says to us, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Friends, you know what Jesus was doing in that story? He was trying to reveal to the human race what it's like in the most holy place. He was trying to tell the world, don't you see This is what it's like in my Father's presence. The mercy seat. It's the throne, not of judgment. It's the throne of grace. Friends, it's interesting that immediately after Jesus said, go and sin no more, guess what he said? He said in John 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He was saying, don't you see, this is what it's like in the most holy place. Don't you want to follow me? Come with me back into that most holy place experience so that you could have the light of life. The Shekinah glory in the flesh trying to show us what God is really like. But still, people did not understand the mission of the Messiah. The darkness was so dense. People were blinded. The light was shining, but they could not see it. Why? Well, friends, question, what was it that brought about the night of separation? What exactly was it that brought the darkness in the first place? What was it, friends? Tell me. It was sin. Sin is what brought the darkness, the misapprehension of God, the confusion of God's character, and the ignorance of his love. It was the darkness of sin. And so in order for us to truly see the light, the Lord Jesus has to remove the darkness of sin. And friends, in order to remove the darkness of sin, he had to go past the labor of baptism. In order to get rid of the darkness of sin, he had to go all the way to the altar where the lamb is slain because it's only through his death that sin can be removed from our lives. And so we see Jesus, friends, far away from the Shekinah glory at the labor of baptism. Then he goes all the way to the altar. Remember, friends, where, does, where, where do we meet God? 
at the altar. The first thing the sinner sees when he enters into the gates is the altar. It represents the cross where the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. And friends, remember, the farther away you get from the most holy place, what happens? The darker it becomes. And so Christ went out into the darkness of our sins. We see the suffering lamb in the garden of Gethsemane. And friends, it was a cold, dark night. And for the first time in eternity, the weight of the world's sin is being laid upon the sin bearer, Jesus Christ. Not only the sin, but the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that comes with sin is all being laid upon Jesus all at the same time. Now, friends, one sin is heavy for us to carry, but can you imagine the sin of the entire human race? Past, present, and future sins all laid upon Christ. Can you imagine how heavy it was? The guilt he felt, the condemnation, it was so dark, friends, and it was so heavy that the capillaries in his pores began to burst open, just like a grape being crushed under someone's foot, the blood began to flow. It was as if the very life of God was being squeezed out of Christ because the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the life is in the blood. And friends, Jesus has eternal life. Friends, as the blood flows from his pores, it's as if eternal life is leaving Jesus because of sin. The sin that I have chosen, the sin that you have committed. Oh, friends, he took our place. It was a cold, dark night, and he, he was on the ground wrestling by himself with the powers of darkness. One writer describes it in these words. Jesus felt that by sin, he was being separated from the Father, and the gulf was so broad, so black, and so deep that his spirit shuddered before it. Again, the Son of Man was seized with superhuman agony. And fainting and exhausted, he staggered back to the place of his former struggle. Again, he was prostrated to the earth. His suffering was even greater than before. The cypress and the palm trees were silent witnesses of his anguish. And from their leafy branches dropped heavy dew upon his stricken form as if nature wept over its author who was wrestling alone with the powers of darkness. Nature, it seems, was weeping for Christ while the disciples were sleeping on Christ. Friends, we look at the sleeping disciples in the midst of this crisis. It represents a sleeping church that is fast asleep in complacency, in lukewarmness, in a time of a terrible crisis when they should be watching and praying. The disciples are sleeping. Oh, friends, can you imagine how this broke the heart of God? At the very moment when Jesus needed us the most, in the very moment when, when, he, when he longed to know that we were praying for him, when he longed to hear a word of encouragement, when he longed to know that we appreciated something about his sacrifice, we were sleeping on him. Oh, friends, I'm so thankful that when we need him the most, he never sleeps on us. Can you say amen? He was all alone by himself, friends, forsaken of God and forsaken of men, drinking the cup of the wrath of God for us. And friends, he was in the darkness at the altar and after he submitted himself to the will of the father it's then that judas came and betrayed jesus with a kiss and friends do you remember what jesus said to judas notice in the book of luke chapter 22 verse 53 it says this is your hour and the power of friends where was jesus far away from the shekinah glory all the way at the altar dying 
in darkness. Friends, we see Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one that came from the bosom of the Father, that came from the Shekinah glory. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. He was rejected so that we might be accepted by God. His body was broken and crushed and bruised so that our hearts could be mended and made whole. We see Jesus wearing the crown of our thorns so that we can wear the crown of life. We see the blessed Christ, the Messiah at the altar being cut off so that we could be reconciled back to God. We see the lamb now at the altar of the cross. He's dying. And friends, he hung upon the cross for three hours. And friends, for the exact time that Jesus was on the cross, guess what happened? Matthew 27 verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. The very time Jesus was on the cross, it was completely dark. The sun refused to look upon the awful scene. A cloud of darkness surrounded the cross. Friends, what we're seeing here is amazing. We see Jesus taking our place. He is dying in our darkness. Why? So that we could live in his light. So that we can go back to the most holy place. So that we can be back in the Shekinah glory. Oh, friends, the cross was a dark period of this world's history. It was one of the darkest. Because, friends, when you look upon the cross... You see humanity at their worst, crucifying their creator. How low can we go? Humanity at their worst, crucifying the one that loved them more than anything else. But friends, at the cross, not only do we see humanity at their worst, we also see divinity at its best. A God of love who would embrace a world that would reject him and spit in his face. Oh, friends, it was dark, but the darker the night, the brighter the light shines because friends what does the light represent the knowledge of the glory of friends even though it was dark it was so bright you know why because at the cross we see in clear bright rays who god is the heart of god for the human race we see god demonstrating for the human race this is how much i love you this is how valuable you are to me this is the great length i would go to save you. Oh, friends, do you see Jesus never once lived for himself? He only lived for others. He gave and gave and gave until there was nothing left to give. The Bible says that he emptied himself. He even gave his garment. He hung on the cross naked, friends, so that we could be covered with the garments of his righteousness. Oh, friends, who are you and who am I that we would live our lives for ourselves? How can we be so selfish when our creator, the one that deserves all things, never once lived for himself? He only lived to give, friends. And friends, at the cross, we see the light of God shining upon us. Friends, never, ever, ever again doubt the love of God. You are the most valuable thing in the universe. And friends, I'm so grateful that Jesus did not stay dead. Can you say amen? We don't serve a dead God, uh, but a living Christ. He resurrected from the tomb. And remember, where would he go after that? Remember, Jesus said, I come from the Father to the world. And then I leave the world and go back where? So from the cross, where would he go? He would go back into the holy and then into the most holy place. Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, he endured the cross, despising, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the what? 
the throne of God. In other words, he would now, from the altar, he would go now go back into stopping at the labor, which also represents resurrection because baptism is also a symbol of resurrection. And then from his resurrection to the labor, he would now go into the holy place to inaugurate his heavenly ministry. And friends, this is where God's throne was at first. And then the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, which hope we have as, a, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever. And so Jesus would then go into the most holy place, beginning his special interceding and cleansing work. We understand that he did this in the year 1844, according to Bible prophecy. At first, the holy place, you can read that in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. That's the holy place ministry of Christ, the inauguration that happened after the resurrection. But then in 1844, he would step into the most holy place beyond the veil, beginning his special cleansing work. And the Bible says that he is our forerunner, the one that goes before us and we follow. Don't you see from the altar, he goes to the laver, then to the holy place, then to the most holy place. And now he calls us, come, follow me, whithersoever I lead you. Friends, we have the privilege of following Jesus by faith into the most holy place experience. Can you say amen? Because of our understanding of the sanctuary, we know exactly where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. He's calling us to come into the secret place of the Most High so that we might abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. And that's the knowledge that we have because it's in the most holy place that the light is shining in its clearness. And even though Jesus is in heaven for us, there is still another dark period that was to come after the cross. It's known in history as the Dark Ages. The what ages? And do you know why the Dark Ages was so dark? It's because the medieval church made it illegal to read or own the Bible. And friends, the Bible says in Psalms 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, what path? The path of the just. That's like a shining light. And so if you get rid of the light of God's word, what do you have as a result? You have the dark ages. And not only that, but the reason why the dark ages was so dark is because the medieval church did away with the light that was shining in the sanctuary. Every article of furniture and every truth therein was replaced with a counterfeit. You see, friends, during the Dark Ages, the medieval church got rid of the altar of sacrifice and they replaced it with penance and human works, shedding your own blood and teaching you can save yourself by shedding your own blood and giving offerings to the church. They got rid of that altar of sacrifice and thus the light began to become dim. Not only that, but they got rid of the laver, which, re which represents baptism, as the church began to sprinkle infants. The truth of baptism was, was abolished and replaced with a counterfeit. Not only that, but during the dark ages, they got rid of the table of showbread representing the word of God, and they replaced God's word, the bread of life, with human teachings, opinions, and traditions. That part of the past was, was removed, and the light began to be dimmer. And they got rid of the candlestick of evangelism. And they replaced it with inquisitions and crusades, forcing people, evangelizing by force and by the stake. And so they removed the candlestick of evangelism and a counterfeit was set up in its place. Not only that, but they got rid of the altar of incense representing prayer as prayer to God was replaced by confessing your sins to a man, a priest and confessionals. That part of the path was removed and the light was got even more dim. And they even got rid of the Ark of the Covenant 
the law of God replaced with the traditions of the church. Sabbath replaced with Sunday worship and the glory Shekinah of God replaced with the glory of man, of priests and popes. You see, the reason why the dark ages was so dark is because the sanctuary truth message was almost nearly extinguished. But praise God that the light will always prevail and overcome the darkness. Can you say amen? And so I want you to notice what God did. We're almost finished, friends. In Isaiah 58 verse 12, God prophesied that he would have some reformers of the path. The Bible says, Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of paths to dwell in. What path? The path of the just. That is like a shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. God is saying that he's going to have some people, some men and women of faith that would restore the path, restore the breach, repair it. These are restorers or reformers. These are the true pathfinders that will restore the path that was almost destroyed in the dark ages. So what did God do? God rose up some pathfinders after his own heart, some reformers who would restore. God rose up Martin Luther and the Lutheran church to restore the altar of sacrifice as Luther began to teach and preach that we're saved not by our own works, but we're saved by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. His emphasis was salvation by grace, by faith in God's grace. And so God used Martin Luther and the Lutheran church to restore the altar of sacrifice back into its proper place. That part of the path was restored, and the light now began to be a little bit brighter. Then God rose others, like Roger Williams and John Smith and the Anabaptist movement, to restore the labor of baptism. As they began to teach and preach that baptism is not by sprinkling influence, but by uh, immersing adults, that part of the path was restored. God used the Baptist movement to do it, and so the light began to shine a little bit more, and we're brought even closer back to the Shekinah glory. And then God rose up the Waldensians and John Wycliffe and amongst others to restore the table of showbread representing Bible study as they began to teach that the Bible and the Bible alone is the sole rule of authority. That part of the path was restored the light began to shine even more, and now we're brought even closer to God. And then God rose up others, like John Calvin and the Presbyterian movement, who restored the altar of prayer as their special emphasis, their special message, John Calvin began to teach that we need to pray in order to have a personal relationship with God, in order to grow up in his likeness. Prayer is an essential element. And so God used the Presbyterian movement to restore that art, uh, 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 piece of furniture, and that part of the path was restored, and the light began to shine even more. And then God rose up John and Charles Wesley and the Methodist movement to restore the candlestick of evangelism as they began to teach and preach that we ought to live holy lives. Theirs was a holiness message, and that's the way that we let our light shine as witnesses in the world. People ought to be able to see a difference in the way that we live our lives. And so God used the Methodist movement to restore that part of the path. The light began to shine even clearer and we're brought even closer to the Shekinah glory. Oh, friends, don't you see that God was using every single movement to restore the path of the just, the true path of faith. He was using every movement. And friends, if I lived in, during those times, if I lived in Martin Luther's time, I would be a Lutheran. If I lived during the time of the Anabaptists, I would be a Baptist. If I lived during the time of, of John and Charles Wesley, I would be a Methodist. You see, God was using every single movement in the past, but now we have one last piece of furniture that was yet to be restored. 
It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the place where the light is the clearest and shining the brightest. And tell me, friends, did God raise up a movement to lead the world all the way back into his presence? A special movement that would restore not just part of the path, but the whole thing. Did God raise up a movement? Absolutely, yes. And friends, what movement is that? We're going to find out tomorrow night. Can you say amen? But it's a movement that God is calling all of us to be a part of. It's a movement that restores all truth in the last days. You see, friends, when we understand the most holy place message, when we know where Jesus is and what he's doing, we now have the clearest view and the brightest picture of who God is. And when we know it for ourselves, then we can call the world. Don't stop at the labor and the altar. Don't stop at the candlestick and the table of showbread. Don't stop at the altar of incense. Why don't we go all the way back and let the Spirit of God lead us into all the truth? Friends, what movement is this? They're described in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. Notice with me as we begin to bring out a few last points. The Bible says concerning God's end time people, It says, here is the patience of the saints. That word patience means endurance. In other words, these are the ones that endure to the end of the path. Are you with me? It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the what? Commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I want you to notice interesting that the word here is mentioned twice in this verse. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, and the word here denotes a location. Isn't that right? Here denotes a location. Well, where exactly is the location of these saints? Where is here? Listen, friends, here is wherever the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are. And friends, in the sanctuary, where's the commandments of God? In the most holy place. And where's the faith of Jesus? It's throughout the whole thing, but especially in the most holy place. Let me explain how. What was just above the Ten Commandments in the most holy place? The mercy seat, it was made of what? Pure gold. And friends, do you know what gold represents in the Bible? Faith. But notice, it's pure gold because it's a pure faith. And friends, who's the only one that has a pure faith? Jesus. The Bible tells us that God's end time people, they have the faith, not just in Jesus. They have the faith of Jesus. You know why? Because they sit with Jesus on the throne as an overcomer. They have a most holy place experience. Here is the patience of the saints. Friends, I want to be there. How about you? God's end time people, his remnant church, truly is going to be a lighthouse of truth in a world full of darkness. You know why? Because we're living in another dark age where Satan is spreading lies about the character of God. That people have misperceptions about who God is. But the darker the night, the brighter the light is going to shine. And so we go now to the book of Revelation chapter 18 as we find the final message in the last days, a message so powerful and so bright that it will bring in the perfect day, the coming of Jesus. Please turn there with me. Revelation 18 verses 1 through 4, the Bible tells us, and we're going to study this in detail tomorrow night. It says, and after these things, I saw another angel, another messenger come down from heaven, having great power, And the earth was what? Lightened with his... Friends, this angel is simply God's end-time messengers in the last days. 
And the Bible says that they will not only be heard audibly, but the world is going to be enlightened with their glory. In other words, people will see the glory of God in the lives of his end-time people, those who have a most holy place experience. And then once they're seen, then notice verse 2, and he cried mildly with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitations of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now notice verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Here we find a messenger with a message so bright that it brings the perfect day, the second coming of Christ. Friends, do you want to know who this messenger is? Who is this angel that enlightens the world with the glory of God? Tomorrow night we're going to find out. But notice just a few more verses in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the what? Stars forever and ever. Friends, in the Bible, stars represent angels. And angels are messengers. Bible is calling us to be shining stars, shining messengers, to lead people back to righteousness. And where is righteousness? My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are... So to turn people to righteousness is to turn people back to the Ten Commandments, is to turn people back into the most holy place where Jesus sits upon his throne. Oh, friends, I want to be a star. How about you? But not like those basketball stars and those music stars and those movie stars. Those stars are just falling stars. I want to be like the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And friends, as we continue to shine, the light of the message of God in the last days will bring in the perfect day, and then we will see our God face to face. And friends, then notice what happens to the sanctuary. In Revelation 21, verse 22 and 23, my last verse, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the what? Temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God delight in it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. You see, friends, in heaven, there's no need of a temple, no need of artificial light, because now we're, very, we're back into the very presence of God in the Shekinah glory, the place that we once began. Now Jesus brings us back. Now we see our God face to face. Only faintly, now we see Him with a darkening veil between. Oh, but a blessed day is coming when His glory shall be seen face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face to see and know when with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. I want to see Jesus. How about you? And right now, Jesus is calling us to walk the path of the just. But what does this mean? Friends, before we close, I have to tell you what it means practically. We talked and discussed a lot of theology this morning. But how do we apply this to our lives in a practical way? Friends, the way in which we walk the path of the just is by prayer and by faith. You see, every morning that we wake up, God invites us to come with Him into the most holy place. How do we do it? Let me explain. Listen carefully, friends. We begin our day in prayer, and we begin our prayer by entering into the courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. We enter into the gates 
with praise. We don't start by asking God for things, but rather we start our prayer by praising God for who He is and what He's done. And friends, as we praise God, we're entering into the court, the outer court. And after we're finished praising God, then by faith in prayer, we go to the altar of sacrifice and we say in prayer, Lord, thank you for dying for me. I accept your death and your blood upon my life again today. And Lord, not only do I accept what you have done for me, but now I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice. I want self to be consumed on this altar. May self die. And Lord Jesus, would you please live in me today? And so in prayer, you're at the altar. But don't stop there. After that, in prayer, go to the laver. And in prayer, say, Lord Jesus, would you cleanse me afresh today? Would you baptize me with the water of your spirit right now today? Because we need a fresh baptism every single day, friends. But after that, don't stop there. Then go into the holy place. And then stop at the table of showbread. And in prayer, you're saying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Not weekly. Daily bread. Lord, teach me your words. Give me a hunger and thirst for the bread and water of life. Help me not to stay upon the surface, but help me to dig deep. Help me to, to digest your word and may it become my very life. Lord, please help me to understand your word. Friends, in that, you're stopping at the table of showbread. But don't stop there. Jump over to the candlestick and say, Lord, would you please fill me with the oil of your Holy Spirit that I might be on fire for you today. May your light shine through me. Lead me to a soul or lead a soul to me. May I be your witness today. May people see your love and feel the warmth of your care in my life. Amen. And by the way, friends, by the way, do you know what the candle wicks were made of? That the fire consumed? Do you know what the wicks were? They were made of the old garments of the priest. Do you know what that represents? Self-righteousness must be consumed by the fire of God's love. But don't stop there. After that, go to the altar of intercession. Now you're finished praying for yourself. Now you begin to intercede for others. Lord, please be with my spouse, my children. Call them by name. Be with my neighbors and my family members, my friends, my church family, be with my pastor and my leaders because God is not looking for accusers, manipulators, or gossipers. He's looking for intercessors, those who will stand in the gap for the lost. And then don't stop there, friends. Go all the way into the secret place of the Most High. Go into the most holy place and in prayer you're saying, Lord, write your law in my heart. May I be an ark that you can place your holy law within. Lord, fill me with your presence, your Shekinah glory. May it shine from within. And Lord, allow me to sit with you on your throne today as an overcomer, even as you overcame and sat down with your father on his throne. And friends, when you pray those types of prayers, you can never be lost. When you're praying a prayer like that, you're walking the path of the just and you are letting Jesus to prepare you for a face-to-face -face encounter with your maker. These prayers are being stored up in God's storehouse. And soon it's going to be answered in overflowing with a ladder, rain, power upon the people of God.
thus God will bring us home back into his presence how many of you are thankful for the path of the just friends listen we're all at least standing upon it today don't just stand there friends move forward don't let the past hold you back because if you're just standing on the path you are a stumbling block and a hindrance to those behind you that are trying to move forward so friends listen get off the path or move forward but don't stand there but let's not get off let's move forward together shall we how many want to say lord jesus take me to the end 